Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today, my guest is a well-known Catholic personality on EWTN and director of the Coming Home Network and a good friend of mine, Marcus Grodi. Welcome to the program. Father Dwight, it's a great pleasure to, to join you on radio. It's just too bad we can't get together more often. In reality, I, I miss the times. The fact that the first time you and I met was out over in England when you were still there working for the St. Barnabas Society, but it's uh, been good to be a longtime friend of yours. That's right, and you contributed a chapter to the first book I edited, uh, The Path to Rome. That's right. And um, we've been friends for some time now and, and uh, been encouraging one another as converts to the Catholic Church. Now, you know, Marcus, every week you interview a different convert to the Catholic Church on your wonderful television program on EWTN. I know you don't brag about it, but I, I mean, it's one of the most popular programs on the network, isn't it? I think it is, but it has nothing to do with me. I think the stories are always an encouragement to anybody on the journey. And we try and keep a good selection of converts and what we call reverts, both academic and lay and clergy and uh, even religious. And I'm guessing that both the Catholic as well as the non-Catholic audience find it encouraging. The Catholic audience often because they've lost so many of their children from the church. So when they hear a convert, they're encouraged. Boy, if that person can come back, then maybe my son or daughter or my brother or sister or my parents could come back to the church. You know, I have to tell you a story about my own appearance on Journeys Home with you some years ago now, <laughs> because a lot of people think that EWTN only ministers to Catholics. You know, we're preaching to the choir and all that. Well, I was on the program with you, and I was brought up in Pennsylvania in a fundamentalist Bible church. And while I was on the program, my mom in South Carolina gets a phone call from my former pastor of the church where I was growing up. And he said, hey, Laura, he said, I didn't know Dwight was on TV. Well, there was a, a fundamentalist Baptist in Pennsylvania watching your program and tuning into EWTN. So there are many, many people out there watching the program that you do. And you say it doesn't have anything to do with you, but you're expert in interviewing your guests and pulling their stories from them and also pulling uh, the larger theological issues and cultural issues out of their stories for us to be able to not just hear a conversion story, but to ponder the reasons for conversion, to ponder the bigger events and issues in the church. It's a terrific program to watch. Like I said, you listen to everybody else's conversion stories. When do we get to hear yours? You were a former uh, Presbyterian pastor. Can you share with our listeners a, a little bit about your own story to the Catholic Church? I'll do it really quickly. As I look back now that I'm just turned 61 and, and kind of uh, still reflecting on the journey, I look back and it really has been by the mercy and grace of God who changed my heart many, many years ago to love our Lord Jesus that really has just been a journey of seeking to get closer to our Lord. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, often we think, even the journey home, that it's all about people becoming Catholic. Well, yes, but what it really is at the core, it's ongoing conversion. It's a, it's a journey deeper with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul equating the body with Jesus, mm -hmm. the Church, the body of Christ is Jesus, then we recognize that in the big mystery of it all, the way you get closer to Jesus is through his church. Well, anyways, I didn't realize that, as you didn't either, mm -hmm. uh, Dwight, when you were young. But in following a desire from God to grow closer to our Lord, I eventually led me to seminary, uh, led me to be a pastor, 
And for 10 years serving as a pastor, my my central goal was helping my congregation grow closer to Jesus. But the issue that I encountered, which began in seminary and then grew year after year, was this question of how can I be certain that what I'm teaching from the pulpit is true? And Father Dwight, you know that Protestant pastors as well as Catholic clergy recognize a deep responsibility for what we teach from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. We'll stand before God for what we deliver from the pulpit. And I took that very seriously. And the problem was that my particular evangelical Presbyterian interpretation of Scripture was radically different from so many of the pastors all around me. And after 10 years of struggling, I recognized that there was a problem with being able to discern what was true. Because every Christian, there wasn't one doctrine that every single Christian in the world can agree on. Not one. How we're saved, the sacraments, the meaning of the church, the meaning of ordination, even the meaning of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so the question was, well, if I can't be certain, then I have no right to be in the pulpit. And so I resigned thinking I'd go back to school. But while I was going to school in a graduate program, I read in the newspaper that a local Catholic theologian would speak at a local parish, and it was Scott Hahn. Mm-hmm. And I had been classmates with Scott. I heard he'd gone Catholic. I thought it was crazy. I didn't believe it. But I went to hear him. And that was really the beginning of the journey, because he pointed out to me a scripture text that I'd never seen before. I'd never encountered what 1 Timothy 3.15 says, when Mm -hmm. it says the pillar and bulwark of the truth is the church. I would have answered that as, it's the Bible. Right. And that that was really the beginning. Which church? The Scripture says it's the church. Okay, what church? And after two years of studying and arguing and fighting and with friends and uh, reading a gazillion books, especially the Newman books were the ones that finally sealed it for me. The uh, wake-up call for me was actually, it was that verse, but it was also the book of Ephesians, where St. Paul is going through and explaining about the mystery of godliness, the mystery of Christ, which has been hidden from all ages, and now it has been revealed. And then the light bulb went on in my brain when he said, it has now been revealed through the church. And it's in Ephesians 3, and I'm going, what? And I read it again, the mystery of Christ has now been revealed through the church. And that little verse also hidden away, like the verse you mentioned in Timothy, suddenly leapt off the page to me, and I was realizing, yes. And then I read the whole rest of the book of Ephesians from a more Catholic point of view and understanding, and the whole thing's about the church. The whole thing is about the church being the bride of Christ and so forth, and and, uh, it's woven into every aspect of that epistle. The Ephesians was a big step for me, but in a little bit different way, because in my study of it during this time, I came to the conclusion that Ephesians was a baptismal sermon Mm -hmm. of the early church. In other words, the first three chapters are essentially, this is how different you are because you were baptized. Right. Okay, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, now that you're baptized, this is how you're supposed to live. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with that was, as a Presbyterian, number one, baptism isn't all that important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And number two, I believed in once saved, always saved. So mm-hmm. what difference does it make how you live? Mm-hmm. So Ephesians was a, a two-by-four from a Catholic perspective. Yes. And like you, really in many ways it was Scripture drawing us to the Church only to discover that the only reason Scripture has authority is because of the Church. Mm-hmm. 
and that's what brought Marilyn and I into the church in 1992. And when you stepped into the Catholic Church in 1992, I was living in England at the time, but as I understand it, the phenomena of Protestant pastors becoming Catholics was almost unheard of. You're exactly right, at least from my myopic perspective. As a Protestant minister, I had never heard of a Protestant minister becoming Catholic. I'd heard of Catholic priests and nuns becoming Protestant. Mm-hmm. The only Protestants I knew that became Catholic were those that married into the Church. Right. And I always presumed, well, they didn't know their faith very well, or they wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. So, when I discovered Scott, I mean, that was totally radical. didn't make sense. I didn't have a category to put that in. But then as I became Catholic, I started discovering others, like Steve Wood or Father Ray Ryland, and then the list got bigger and bigger. And when I finally came into the Church, I not only had a long list of Protestant ministers who had become Catholic, Episcopalians and Baptists and Presbyterians and, and the whole long list. But I also began encountering others who were still on the journey. Right. And they felt completely alone. And you know this experience, because you were over in England doing the same thing with the St. Barnum Society, that they were, these guys thought they were alone, so they needed the fellowship of others who had walked before them. And so that was really the, the kernel for the idea for the Coming Home Network, we never intended it in the beginning to be an apostolate, a full-time lay nonprofit apostolate. It was begun mainly as a, a newsletter to connect people on the journey, mm-hmm. essentially converts helping converts on the way into the church. Right. For our listeners who are unfamiliar, the St. Barnabas Society is an over-100-year-old charity in England, which was established in the wake of Blessed John Henry Newman's conversion when a large number of Anglican clergy converted to the Catholic Church. And as they do today, these Protestant ministers leave their livelihood, they leave their career, their profession, they leave their ministry, and leave virtually everything to step out of the boat and to walk on the waves of faith and to become Catholics. And the St. Barnabas Society uh, offered them assistance, pastoral support, and help and in a similar way that, of course, the Coming Home Network does today. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My special guest today is Marcus Grodi, the founder and director of the Coming Home Network, and, of course, the host of the EWTN television show, Journeys Home. Marcus, remind our listeners just what a minister in a, a Protestant church will go through when he will decide more and more that God's calling him to the Catholic Church. Let's give a a typical example, a man perhaps in his 40s who's been ministering for maybe 10 or more years. He's probably married. He has some children. What are some of the difficulties and problems that this man is going to face when he considers the call of God to become a Catholic? There's some obvious problems right up front. In the Protestant world, there really is no place for celibacy. There really is a pressure on almost everyone that the normal life for everyone is marriage, and especially in the clerical world in the Protestant Church. If you're 20 and not married, everyone in the Church is going to try and get you to marry their daughter. If you're 30 and a pastor in the Protestant Church, every mother wants you to marry her 30-year-old daughter. If you're 40 (laughs) and single and a clergy, people start wondering if there's something wrong with you. I mean, that's the reality of the Protestant world. And so, right up front, nearly every Protestant clergyman that approaches the Church brings with him a wife, children, and all the economic responsibilities that come with that. Right. And so, 
immediately there's a, a disconnect, but there's other less obvious things. There's the deep sense of having been called by God to dedicate one's life to service. Mm-hmm. We're generalizing, but most of the men that I deal with, most of them are evangelically minded. They've surrendered their lives to Jesus. They've given up any thought of a secular career. They come from a culture that really believes that if you really want to serve Jesus, you have to do it full-time. Right. And that means seminary, and that means ordination. And all of that is done with a deep sense that this was not my idea, mm-hmm. that this was the idea of God. And I followed that. And so they've done that. And then when they discovered the Catholic Church, to a very, very difficult and real sense, their whole lives can be thrown out of whack. Not only is it, how will I support my family? Not only is it, what about my ministry? Or not only is it, how will I continue to serve? But it's like, wait a second, did I mishear God all along? In my own life, I was living in England. I had become an Anglican priest, and we had a, a beautiful five-bedroom home in the country in a beautiful village. I was doing what I longed to do, and then this call to become a Catholic. So we, we took the step, and I'll never forget, I'd been a priest for uh, over 10 years, and I'll never forget... Well, I also remember, Dwight, you had a beautiful parish. Yeah, it was, it was, it was gorgeous. It was, uh, out on the Isle of, out of, Isle of Wight, right? Yeah, you know, on the Isle of Wight, a little country village with two um, thousand-year-old, beautiful old English churches. But anyway, we, we go to our new home, which was a, a little sort of duplex house, which is all we could afford, and... My wife takes me shopping because all I had was these black clothes, and <laughs> I go into this into the into the clothing store, and I hadn't worn anything but black clericals for ten years, and I'm looking around and saying, you know, honey, I don't know what to wear. I, am I a am I a blue jeans guy or a? This was just a little illustration of the sense, total sense of alienation and bewilderment and so forth of being thrown from one world and, and one life and one yeah. way of service into a completely new uh, culture and environment. Down to the core of who am I? Yes. Who am I? Because there's something that I'm not sure the audience, some of the audience may not get this in terms of agree, but the truth is that from a Catholic perspective, Protestant ordination is not a sacrament. Mm -hmm. It is not valid. And so to a certain extent, when a 13-year-old Catholic boy receives the sacrament of confirmation, he essentially has a higher level of sacramental ordination than a Protestant minister. Interesting. Mm -hmm. He's ordained to the lay apostolate as a 13-year-old young boy and girl. The non-Catholic minister... That, that ordination is not sacramental. The people that ordained them were well-meaning, but they had no more authority to do so than a greeter at a Walmart. It's called ordination, but in Catholic terms, the ordination doesn't exist, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's really... the vow that you and I made. We made a vow. Yes. That's valid. But what they did to us when they laid their hands on it had no authority behind it. Yes, we went through a ceremony recognizing our call to ministry, if you like. That's one of the many things that men have to deal with. The other really big issue is that they did take place in another sacrament that's extremely important, Mm -hmm. not just baptism, which meant they were already members of the Church, though in an imperfect way. But the sacrament of marriage, and that one of the goals is to help these non-Catholic clergy start to realize, from a Catholic perspective, what their marriage already means. Yes. That they are one with this woman, 
and therefore the decision they need to make is not their own decision. Mm -hmm. It's one that needs to be made together, and that can be actually the most difficult barrier to get over. You mean where the man is called to uh, the Catholic Church, but the wife has not yet been convinced? Yeah, Yeah. and one of the reasons is usually the clergyman has been to seminary, can read Newman and read Garigula Grange and all those books, and, and often the spouse that's not her cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And so the guy's reading all the theology books that are convincing about the Catholic Church, and the wife is wondering, why are you doing this to us? He's there telling her all these things he's excited about, and she's kind of yawning and saying, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's a real struggle. And, and I would say 80% of the time of all the men we've dealt with, and we've dealt with a, mm-hmm. over 2,000 clergymen, 80% of the time, the husband and wife are at radically different places on the journey. Now, Marcus, your discussion of marriage here and the commitment to marriage is actually not just a practical difficulty of, oh, my wife doesn't want to become a Catholic, what can I do? In fact, you're, you've gone right to the heart of one of the big problems, one of the big crises. As my listeners will know, I'm actually a married former Anglican priest, ordained now as a Catholic priest under the pastoral provision. This is a special provision set up by blessed Pope John Paul II to allow men in my situation, former Episcopal or Anglican priest, to be ordained as Catholic priests, even though we're married. We have a dispensation from the vow of celibacy. In many ways, this has been a help, of course, to us, and we've been able to minister. I believe it's been a gift to the Church, if I may say so humbly. I think other men like myself have been able to contribute something in our priesthood and so forth to the church, which was not available before. However, it has set a precedent. Well, how do you deal with this, Marcus? Because you're having, as you say, thousands of Protestant ministers from a whole range of different denominations come into the Catholic Church. They, if they've done the research, will have heard about people like myself. Yeah. So what do you say when an Assembly of God pastor bounces into Coming Home Network full of enthusiasm for the Catholic Church and says, hey, and I want to be a, a married Catholic priest like Father Longenecker or Father Ryland or one of these other guys. How do you deal with that? The whole openness of the hierarchy of the Church to open the door, a crack, for married clergy began before John Paul. It began back with Pius XII, who mm-hmm. was really the first pope to open that door to a group of German Lutheran clergy back in the 1950s. He actually was in 1949 when he first had the idea. And the point was, the Church has recognized in a pastoral way that there are Protestant traditions that have always recommended the sacerdotal, the priestly, the sacramental, liturgical aspect of the ordination and the call to ministry. And the Church has also recognized in other non-Catholic clergy a call to priesthood. But the Church has emphasized very clearly there's no necessary direct connect between Protestant ordination and Catholic priesthood. Mm -hmm. And it it can appear that way because of what has happened. The number of non-Catholic clergy married who come in and become priests are very small. It's only 10% or so of those that actually come in. And the majority of those are Anglicans, some Lutherans, some, a few Presbyterians, a few Baptists, actually, a couple United Church of Christ, a few Methodists. But the majority of non-Catholic clergy that come in need to recognize that they're laymen. Really, we're always laymen, and that they need to recognize the beauty of being laymen in the Church, which the Church has been trying to emphasize for 100 years anyway. And and that's the problem, is that we still have this kind of clericalist mentality that sees clergy and everyone 
and to the bishops and religious at a higher level than the laity, and especially John Paul and Benedict are trying to emphasize that's not right. What's especially ironic about this is that that clericalism is actually perpetrated by our Protestant brothers and sisters because they too also put their ministers on a kind of higher level, and you think you're not really serving the Lord unless you're ordained as as a pastor. One of the biggest struggles we have to get across to clergy on the journey is they have to totally revisit what it means to be called and ordained, Mm -hmm. and recognize that the Catholic understanding of ordination, the incarnation of a Catholic priest, is radically different than any non-Catholic ordination. It's a completely different thing. So our work is to help men recognize that there's two things you've got to keep separate. You're called to be Catholic, and your vocation. They're two completely separate things. My guest today on More Christianity is Marcus Grodi, the D- director of Coming Home Network and host of the EWTN show Journeys Home. If you would like to learn more about conversion to the Catholic faith, why not go to my website, whitelongenecker.com, go to the bookstore and check out my book, Path to Rome. Marcus's conversion story is there. My conversion story is there as well as about number 15 others. Go there and check it out. Get a copy, read it, share it with some friends. There's plenty of literature out there about how to convert to the Catholic Church from a non-Catholic tradition. Marcus, your work at the Coming Home Network is wonderful, reaching out to these men and women who are isolated, feeling alone, feeling a call to the Catholic Church, but wondering desperately what they're going to do and how they're going to cope. Why don't you give us some practical words about how you actually go about helping someone? Again, let me give you an example. Let's say a former Southern Baptist pastor calls you from Alabama or emails you and says, I've been reading all this stuff and I feel like I need to become a Catholic. Help. What do you guys do for them? We've recognized over the years that our our primary responsibility is to proclaim the gospel. And we can't make anybody Catholic. We don't push, pull, or prod anyone into the Church. We don't want to raise unreachable hopes. We want people to recognize the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. And so the main thing we do is we have a newsletter that every month includes conversion stories and other helpful articles. That's kind of the main outreach tool. We also have Internet and a forum. But when they do ask for help, our goal is to connect them with somebody that's already made the journey. We love to connect a Baptist with a Baptist, you know, mm-hmm. a former Baptist or an Anglican with a former Anglican. And we make those connections, and then the goal is for that person to stand beside the person on the journey. And it isn't just clergy. Certainly we've dealt with about 2,000 clergy from over 100 denominations. But what's amazing, in the 20 years we've been able to distribute about 2 million newsletters to over 50,000 people, Uh, Over 300,000 resources, books, CDs, DVDs. Of course, we've got the Journey Home and the Deep in Scripture radio programs. And and so it's really all about getting the truth out about the Church, but recognizing that evangelization isn't merely giving the information out. Our goal is to stand beside anyone that has problems with the Journey. Helping a clergyman is like what happened when Jesus healed the blind beggar. Because the blind beggar, when he was healed, all of a sudden he could see. That's great. But now he can't beg anymore. You know, that's all he's ever done. That's all he knows how to do. But now that he can see, his neighbors are saying, get a job. Right. So conversion involves a radical change in life. And so we see the Coming Home Network not just about helping clergy, but about anyone that wants 
to go closer to Jesus Christ and his church, and then it's facing issues like family, vocation, occupation. Sometimes it's really this psychological dealing with their own call. When I had become a Catholic, a Catholic layman said to me, Dwight, I was not ordained at that point, and he said, Dwight, in the Catholic Church, don't wait to be asked and don't wait to be thanked. <laughs> just <laughs> just get on with what God gives you to do. Trust the Lord. You've already taken a wonderful step of faith. He'll provide, and he'll show you what you need to do. And here you are, as a former Presbyterian pastor, having reached so many people and done such a wonderful work in sharing the gospel, and been an example of what it means to be a committed Catholic layman, committed to the gospel, committed to sharing the good news in such a wonderful way. I'm Dwight Longenecker, and you're listening to More Christianity. My guest today is Marcus Grodi, the director of the Coming Home Network. I'll encourage you to be in touch with me through my website, dwightlongenecker.com. You can get links there to uh, my blog and to my various writings and uh, my books and also uh, learn how you can listen to the other uh, archived programs from More Christianity. Marcus, we don't have too much time left. I wonder whether you would share with our listeners a little bit about the situation with convert clergy today, with our new pope and with uh, the ordinariate and different things that are changing. What, What are the trends? I would say that the media, to a certain extent, given the impression that there's uh, a tsunami of non-Catholics coming into the Church. And I think to a certain extent there is an increase. But what I've discovered over the last 20 years is that there's been a constant stream all the way back to Newman and before Newman. There's, there's been a constant stream. It's, it's ebbed and flowed. I think because of the media and the Internet and the Journey Home program and other programs, it's more out in front and people are hearing more about it. But... In our work, we're also encountering a lot of people that get close, but in the last minute decide not to convert. And, mm-hmm. you know, lots and lots of people like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a difficult journey. It's a spiritual battle for everyone. You know, if I could end on anything, Dwight, the one thing I'd like to say is I believe that when it's all said and done, it's really not going to be as important how well I did on the journey home or how well I did on the Coming Home Network or my books. It really is It's going to be how well I loved. That's the key. How well I loved my wife, how well I loved my children, of recognizing that it's really at the core of importance is our love for Jesus and our love for one another. Thank you so much, Marcus, for being here with us and sharing your story uh, and sharing with everyone the wonderful work that the Coming Home Network is doing. Before we close, can you just remind us of the website address so people can be in touch with the Coming Home Network? Sure, it's uh, www.chnetwork.org, and that's really the best way to connect us. And you can go there and learn about Marcus's ministry, his story, and also tap into their wonderful bank of resources, uh, archived newsletters, articles, books, archived radio shows, all sorts of media resources for you to use in your own journey to the Catholic Church and closer to our Lord uh, who calls all of us to that judgment of love. 